Well, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it myself. 17 times at least yesterday, Dakota, our four-year-old, said those words. And that was just the ones that I counted. I probably missed quite a few. But it's a phrase that we hear a lot around the house right now. Um, if you have kids, I'm sure you've heard it plenty of times too. But Dakota, she's four. She's in the wheelhouse for that right now, right? In her effort to show how grown up and how big she is, um, she says it all the time. I can do it. So just yesterday, getting in the car, hey, let me get you buckled in the car. I can do it. On the playground, hey, you, wanna, you want me to help you get climb up there so you can do that? I can do it. At the restaurant, hey, please let me help you carry that drink to the table. I can do it. She wants to show how big she is, so she declares with confidence, I can do it. And often she can. Her seatbelt got clicked in. She made it to the top of the, the playground. And the drink miraculously made it all the way to the table. But there are other times um, where she says, I can do it. And then a little bit of time passes. Some frustration builds. And then reality sits in. And I hear, Daddy, can you do this for me? I can't do it. And you know what? I love it. I love to hear those words. It shows humility on her part. It shows a recognition that sometimes we can't do it, that we need somebody else to step in. And as we continue in our Made for More study through Ephesians today, uh, I just want to remind us of what we've seen so far. We, so we started back in chapter one, of course, of Ephesians, and we saw that we were called to more. And that more is that Jesus wants to use us to use his body um, to fill all things in all ways. In other words, we as the church are called to go and to fill every nook and every cranny of our culture and our society with the message of Jesus. And that's kind of the big picture. That's, that's the big picture of what God's trying to do. The church as a whole, sharing Jesus and impacting people with culture as a whole. Chapter 2, as we moved into that last week, it kind of helps us answer, how do we become that? And maybe more importantly, how do I as an individual, how do you as an individual fit into that bigger plan? How do we, come, how do we become people? How do we become a church that is ready and able to take the message of Jesus out to the world in which we live? So last week, Pastor Steve got us started in chapter two, and things did not look good. Not that he didn't do well. He did fine. Um, but the message of the first couple chapter, or verses of chapter 2 um, are difficult to hear. Uh, Paul reminded the Ephesian believers, and he reminded us where we all begin. And he described us, he described all people using words like dead in our transgressions and sins. Described us as followers of Satan and of this world. Sons of disobedience. Uh, people who lived according to the passions of the flesh. People deserving of God's wrath. And that's the state of humanity. That's, that's me. That's you. And if that's where things stopped, there's no life, no hope, no purpose. And the question comes to our minds, well, well how does a dead person 
bring himself back to life? He can't. How does a person escape Satan's control? Well, he can't. How can a person destined for judgment get himself out of that? He can't. He can't do it. Verse 4, but God. But God. Verses 1 through 3, here's what you were like. Verse 4, but God. Here was your hopeless situation, but God. Here was your destiny, but God stepped in. There was nothing that any of us could do about it, but God could, and he did. So let's go ahead and continue in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 4 through 10 together as we get started here this morning. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So as Paul begins to lay out this beautiful picture of God's saving work in our lives, he starts out with simply who God is. And that's the first thing I want us to take note of today, that essentially at its very core, our salvation is rooted in the very character of God. You know, often when we think about salvation, uh, the first thing that our mind goes to is the work of God, right? Uh, we think about Christ, and we think about what he's done for us. The fact that, that Jesus came to earth, and he lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross, and he died to take that punishment for our sins, and then he was buried, and he rose again, and because of that, he offers us salvation. He offers us eternal life. He offers us a relationship with him. I mean, that's the gospel, right? That's the good news. But Paul, here, he actually starts somewhere else. He starts kind of before that. And he starts by simply reminding us of who God is. He starts by reminding us of God's character, that the redemptive work that Jesus did, it ultimately began in the heart of God. He says, but God, and then he gives us some insight into who he is. Let's, let's look at verses 4 and 5 again and just kind of take in just the, the description that Paul gives of God. He says, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And of course, the nature and character of God is something that we could not exhaust in a lifetime, let alone in, in one sermon. But I do want to look at these three aspects that Paul kind of focuses on uh, in these verses. And just to, to, again, give us some insight into who God is and just what he's all about. But he mentions three aspects. He mentions grace, he mentions mercy, and he mentions love. And often in church, I think when we're talking about these things, God's grace and God's love and God's mercy, um, we kind of use them interchangeably. Like we kind of just mush them all together and they, they just kind of mean to us like the good stuff about God. Um, but 
and we think maybe, well, aren't they all pretty much the same? But they're actually not. Uh, there's, there's a lot that distinguishes them. They certainly work together, and there's certainly a lot of overlap between God's grace and God's mercy and God's love. But they do have distinctions. They all reach out from God to us, but for different reasons. So let's just break it down just a, for a minute today to help us get a better understanding. God's grace is the aspect of God's character that deals with our guilt. Uh, because of our sin, we're guilty, right? We're condemned in the courtroom of God's justice. Uh, we deserve punishment. But because of God's grace, we don't get that punishment. We can receive forgiveness. We get what we don't deserve. We get that forgiveness. On the other hand, his mercy uh, is part of God's character that deals with our misery. As we read last week, um, you know, we probably walked away Man, things don't look good for people. Um, we're hopeless. We're, we're in a difficult situation. It's something that we're, we're dealing with pain. And that's the, that's the aspect that God's mercy kind of answers. If um, he sees our pain, he sees our situation, and there's just something within him that compels him to act and compels him to act on our behalf. If, if you have kids, you've probably experienced this. Um, I'm going to share another Dakota story. There's lots of them. Um, so on Friday... We were, uh, I got home from work and Amanda was working on some stuff at home. Braley was sleeping, so I got the kids home and we decided we were going to divide and conquer, right? So uh, Amanda and Kyla were going to stay home. They had some things they were working on there. Dakota and I were going to go run a couple errands. Well, one of those errands that we were going to run was to run by um, and get some, get some gas in my car. So we'd go out. And so getting gas, wrapping things up, and then just all of a sudden I hear wailing coming from behind me, right? I'm in the front seat, and she's just crying. Dakota's a tough kid, so she doesn't do this very often. So I'm, you know, I'm like, ah! You know, it startles me. I jump out of the car, run back there. What's going on? What's going on? Um, Well, what she had done was she was trying to throw something, I don't know, a crumb or something, out the the window. And as she was doing that, she decided to roll the window up. And so she smashed her finger between the window and the top of the car, right? So I, I spend the next long time um, <laughs> trying to settle her down. Um, but in that moment, as a dad, if there was anything I could have done to take away that pain, if there was anything that I could have done to take away that situation that she was in, I would have done it. No question asked. She was in pain. She was in misery. She was struggling. I would have done it. In that situation, though, I, I couldn't, you know. <laughs> Let me see it. Does it still work? She's fine, though. She is. Um, but that's, that's that aspect of God's character. He sees our pain. He sees our misery. But he can do something about it, and he did do something about it. So there's the grace that covers our guilt. There's the mercy that steps in um, to intercede for our misery. And then his love is the part of him that just chooses to do what's best for us. It does what's best for us. God did not have to offer us a way of salvation. He did not have to, but he chose to. And his love for me and his love for you is so deep that he made that choice to send Jesus. He made that choice to come and to to take that pain and to take that suffering on himself and pay for our sins. Uh, The very same people described in verses 1 through 3, those are the people he chose to love. Reminds us of Romans 5.8, right? 
while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were against him, he chose to come and to die for us. Christ died for us. So Paul begins this section by reminding us that God's character, who he is, is the foundation of our salvation. He did not save us because we bring something to this table. He did not save us because there's anything inside of me, anything inside of you that was worth saving. It's certainly not because he had to, but because of just who he is, that he is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is loving. He chose to die for you and for me. And these are not characteristics that God sometimes chooses to be. Just like, I, I sometimes am loving, I sometimes am patient, I sometimes am gracious, I sometimes am merciful. He just is. He is these things all the time. And ultimately, salvation isn't because of who I am, but because of who he is. And God reminds us, or Paul reminds us of that. And then Paul goes on and he reminds us what salvation does for us. And that is that we are, when we are joined with Christ, it totally reverses our destiny. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What a contrast those verses are to what we saw last week in verses 1 through 3. We go from what? Dead to alive. From children of wrath to children of God to with the world and with Satan to with Christ. This reversal takes place when a person is joined to Christ, when we become connected with him. Notice that language, made together with Christ, raised up with him, seated with him. It's all about our connection to Jesus, right? It's all about our connection to him. And this idea isn't just present in these few verses, but if you go throughout this book of Ephesians, especially the first three chapters, and just look for every instance where Paul says, in him, in Christ, with Christ, with him, with our Savior, and go through and circle those, you'll find, I don't say dozens, I don't know, it's a lot. It's a lot, because it's all about our connection with him. Being joined with him changes everything. We we don't, we don't receive anything from God. There's nothing we can receive from God outside of our connection with Christ. It's kind of like, um, like this. A few years ago, um, Kyla had a, a project she had to do for school. And so uh, we just happened to be up in Ohio a couple weeks before the project was due. She had to like interview uh, somebody about their job and how they did things. And so we decided we'd, we'd do... Uh, do this thing with my dad. And so my dad works at the water treatment facility at a steel company, okay? And so it's this big plant. They, like, cycle through millions of gallons of water every day and clean it up and all this kind of stuff. And so we go in there, and he was going to give us a tour and do all these different things. So we go in, and he had done all this work, and he got Kyla, like, this hard hat specially for her and put her name on it and these safety goggles. And then for me, he was like, here, just grab a hat. There's one over there. Um, <clears throat> I wanted a hat with my name on it, you know? Um, so we go, and uh, we're going throughout this plant, and he's giving Kyla a tour, and he's showing us and, um, different things, and, hey, this is what happens here, this is what happens there. And as we're going through all this, this plant, we just keep passing these signs over and over. You know, restricted area, authorized personnel only, 
you know, things like this. Um, and I, you know, as I was thinking about this this week, if we would have just decided, hey, we're just going to go, other people would, what are you, what are you doing here? Get out of here. You can't be here. You can't do that. But guess what? Because we were with him, it changed everything. Nobody asked us a single question because we were with him. And that's the idea. When we are with Christ, it changes everything. Um, maybe think of it like this. If you watch a movie or a TV show, those people, you know, the main characters, they'll be doing whatever they're doing, and they'll run up to like an area that says, you know, rest- restricted area or whatever. Like, oh, we have to get in, we have to get in. And the guards there say, no, you can't, you can't, you can't. And then somebody from behind the line dramatically walks into the scene and they says, they're with me. They're with me. And then what do they do? Oh, well. And they let them, let them go right by, right? That's the idea. When we're joined with Christ, when we're connected with him, it changes everything. It changes everything. Nothing about me changed. Uh, j- just like in, the, in that show or that movie, nothing about those characters changed other than they're connected to that other person. There was nothing about me or Kyla that was different when we could go into those restricted areas, but we are with my dad, so we were allowed to go. And that's the idea. When we're joined with Jesus, it changes everything. So if salvation is rooted in God's character and receiving it changes everything, then how are we joined with Jesus? How do we do it? How do we do it? Well, we can't. So actually, a better question is, how does God do it? How does he do it? Let's read verses 8 and 9, and these are probably verses that, if you've been around church any period of time, you've probably somewhat familiar with. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. These very well-known verses, Paul makes sure we understand some very important truths about our salvation. And the first thing he reminds us of is that it is God's grace that saves us, not our faith. It's God's grace that saves us, not our faith. For by grace you are saved, through faith. Faith is this. Faith is believing God is who he says he is and that he's going to do all that he's promised to do. Faith is not something that we do. Faith is something that we accept what God has done. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I, um, I went to a camp. My church ran a, a church camp, and every summer we'd go out there, and I'd spend a week out there. And then as I got older, I'd, I actually worked out there. And I remember uh, somebody preaching on this passage, and um, this is how they explained it. So I'm going to use this. You may have heard it before, but they explained it like this. That salvation, our salvation, imagine you have a lamp up here, okay, like a floor lamp. Um, I could have brought one, but I didn't think about it. Um, So imagine you have a floor lamp up here. The goal is to click on that light bulb, right? The goal is to click on the light bulb. Let's say that represents us being saved, us having a relationship with Jesus. The goal is to click on the light bulb. So you got the lamp. There's two really important parts that you need two, two important things. You need the cord, and then you need the outlet. Okay, you need the cord, and then you need the outlet. You need the, the electricity within the outlet. The cord is like our faith. Um, it's what connects us to the outlet. That outlet, or the electricity within that outlet, that's like grace. That's what's actually 
matters. That's what's actually doing the powering of that light bulb. That's what really does the work. Because our faith, if it's put in the wrong place, it doesn't do us any good. You know, if, if I'd never seen a lamp before and somebody gave it to me as a gift and I said, oh, this is great. And I just took that cord and I like wrapped it around a chair leg or something. You'd think, well, you're dumb. Yes. But would it do any good? It wouldn't do any good. And so people, as people, we can put our faith in lots of different things, but it's only going to do us any good if it's put in the right place. And that right place is in the grace of God. And so when we think about our salvation, the grace, God's grace, is what ultimately is the power source behind that. Is our faith important? Yeah, it has to be there, but it plays, it plays a more passive role. It's just the conduit that God uses to get his grace into our hearts and into our lives. It's needed, but it's not what does the saving. And Paul emphasizes this fact again with his next statement. He, he tells us that God's the original, originator of our salvation, not us. He said, it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of who? Gift of God. It starts with him. This goes back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, our salvation is something that God brings to us. It's not something that originates with us. And then lastly, Paul reminds us that salvation is given, not earned. Uh, this is where we have such a hard time, I think, as people. We like to think there's something that we can do, some way we can show ourselves worthy to God's love or of God's love. There's some way we can at least show God we deserve his forgiveness. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's all about him. That we contribute absolutely nothing to our salvation and pride can kind of creep in, right, when we forget about this, when we think maybe we've done something. And if you remember Jesus' ministry on earth, the only people that he really consistently got upset at were who? The Pharisees, right? What was their deal? They thought they were earning God's favor. They thought they were earning God's love. They said, we can do it. We can do it. And Jesus kept trying to explain to them, no, you cannot. <laughs> no, you cannot. So why is it that it's all about God? It's because he gets all the glory then. It says, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. When somebody looks at our life and they look at the difference that God has made, and they say, man, that's awesome, we want to be able to say, oh, it's not me, it's Jesus. I didn't do anything. It's all, it's all God. And that's what Paul is trying to remind us. That's what he's getting, uh, he's getting at. It's, so... We have nothing to boast about because we did nothing. We can do nothing. And this is where we have to get to that point that we were talking about as we started, where we say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need you. And you know, that's all God needs to hear because he's already done it. He's already done the work. He's paid the price. He's offering salvation to anyone who is willing to take it, anyone who will take it. And all we have to do is accept that free gift. We say to God, you know, God, I, I know I can't save myself. I know I can't earn my way to heaven. I know there's no reason I deserve a relationship with you. But I, I know that you can. And God, I know that you made a way, and I want to accept that gift. And that's all it takes. And I know most of us in this room today have done that. 
But I think it's good for us to remember. It's good for us to remember that it's not about us. It's not about anything we did. But all us just coming and saying, God, I can't, but you can. And there may be some today who, who haven't done that. Man, it, today would be an awesome day. Today would be a great day to just say, Jesus, I accept that gift. And so you can come talk to me after the service. We have people in the back at our next steps table that would love to talk to you about it. But that's what it's all about. It's all about what God has done for us. And for those of us who have already done that, here's what we have to remember. That's not the end goal. That's the starting line. That's the start of the race. It's, uh, God gives us a lot of um, images of what it means to come to salvation. One of them is being born again. We've heard that, right? Uh, so when we're saved, we're born again. Well, when you're born, that's not the end. That's the beginning. That's just the start, right? Another image he gives us is that when we come to know Christ, it's, it's like a marriage. Well, that's not the end. It's not. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. We've got, we've got a lot of young couples that are looking forward to a wedding. Like, that's the beginning. That's not the end. That's the beginning. And so we have to remember that. And that's what verse 10 tells us about. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What this means is that God doesn't just save us so that one day we can go to heaven. That's part of it, but that's not, that's not the ultimate purpose. He saves us because he has a mission for us now. God didn't just save us from something, he saves us for something. Paul says that we are his um, workmanship. That Greek word there actually means poem. So it's this idea that we are kind of God's poetry in motion, that um, he's created us uh, to, to be his masterpieces, which he created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, I want us to notice how God put, or Paul puts good works in their proper perspective. Does God want us to live good, godly lives? Yes. But that's not what saves us. We shouldn't live good, godly lives, uh, or we should, not so that God loves us more, or so that we earn salvation, but we should live it that way because God loves us and because God has saved us. And that's a big difference. It's really a big difference. What this is saying is that if you know Jesus, then God has a specific mission which he has prepared and planned specifically for you to live out. God's done the work in the past. If you look at uh, all this language throughout these this verses that we've been talking about, anything that talks about our salvation is past tense. Because remember, Paul's talking to believers. He's saying God has already done this for you. And then we didn't really get to dig into it a whole lot, but in verse 7, Paul says, In the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God also has a plan for our future. If you can imagine the blessings that God's given you now, it says that in the future he has plans to give us immeasurable riches. Like it's going to be more and more and more and more. And a lot of times we think of those things. We think about heaven. We think about what God's going to do there. So we think about what God's done for us. And we think about the future and what God has planned for us. But we don't want to miss the now. He wants to use us now. That's what verse 10 is. It's about now. And every person who knows Jesus was designed by the living God for a one-of-a-kind masterpiece mission that only you can accomplish. Only you. I want us to hear that again. The only person capable of living out God's specific plan for your life is you. 
is you. And this is where what we're talking about today ties into this second shift in thinking from more volunteers to more masterpieces. Somewhere along the lines, the church, and I don't just mean our church, I mean the church as a whole, has taken this idea that God has a specific mission for each and every one of us to go out and impact the world for Jesus, and we've watered it down to filling a volunteer slot in the church. So I don't know about you, but God saying he's prepared me for good works even before I existed sounds much bigger than just filling a slot on a volunteer roster. So I want you to imagine that we're here today and we don't know anything about church. Nothing, right? And you read this. The God of the universe has a specific plan for you to live out and make an impact on the world for him. So you start dreaming. Man, what could it be? How could God use me? I can't believe God wants to use me to make an impact for him. And then here's your answer. On Sundays, you get to stand at that door back there, say hi, and smile at people. Oh, okay. Or you, you, (laughs) yeah, you, there's some babies down here. You get to change their diapers. Now you, you get, to, you get to run a game over in Children's Church once a month. Pretty big stuff. And you, you, actually you, you, you get to lead a group of junior high boys, small group, and you get to try and keep them focused for 15 minutes on anything. <laughs> anything. What? That's God's big plan for me to be a volunteer. And I think as we've been talking about over the last couple of months, those are good things. We need volunteers. We, we need people to fulfill those roles. But let's not get um, lulled to sleep thinking that's it. Those are all good things. They're great. We need that. But we've been talking about the four chairs. That's chair two stuff, right? That's growth stuff. That's helping us get to the point where we can make that cultural jump and go out and impact culture. Go out and impact people for Jesus. You know, if our end question, if my end question is, where can I volunteer at church? I have a small view of God's plan for me, and it's probably because I have a small view of who God is. Again, it's good, but it's not the thing. It's not the end. Um, you guys have seen those, those like indoor skydiving places? Anyone ever, ever done it? Okay, was it fun? Okay, cool. So I think there's one in Virginia Beach, I think, all right? And so it's this, if you've never seen it, it's this, like, room thing that you go into, and basically the floor is just a giant fan, and it blows you up into the air, and it simulates the fact that you're skydiving, right? And so um, I've never done it. Um, It looks pretty fun, but I've never done it, but it simulates skydiving, but it's not skydiving. It's not the same thing. I've never been real skydiving either, so I don't know. But I, I, can t- I know I've talked to some people who have, say, well, what about those things? That, that's not skydiving. It simulates it. It's similar. But there's no risk. There's no risk. But there's also not the same reward. It's not the same thing. It just simulates it, Right? But if you really wanted to go out and do a real skydive, it might not be a bad idea to go do one of those first. 
And that's what, in a, in a way, that's kind of what it's good to do at church. It's good for us to practice here and share too. Serve one another, love one another, uh, share the gospel with one another, help each other grow. Why? So that we can get out and we can get and do the real thing. And we can go out and we can make an impact on the world around us. God's plan is more than just being a volunteer on this property. It has to be. Uh, but it's to go to the various places that God has placed us, the context where we have been called to really make an impact for him. And as a pastor, I'm not exempt from this. I can easily just be filling a role. It's just a different role. I'm not exempt from it. None of our pastoral staff are exempt from it. God's got a masterpiece mission for us, too. And it doesn't involve just always being here. And I think that's why a lot of us, especially if we've been around church for a while, and I don't know if we'd ever verbalize this or not, but have this burning question of our hearts of, like, is this really what following Jesus is all about? Showing up, hearing a lesson, maybe teaching a lesson, and feeling a volunteer role. Like, is that really all following Jesus is really about? And the answer is no. He wants us to go out, and he wants us to fulfill a masterpiece mission that he is in mind specifically for you. Think about that. The God of the universe has a plan specifically for you, specifically for me. Not just a broad stroke, no, for you, for me. It's not about filling slots so we can provide certain programs, certain services, but it's about saying, how does God want to use me to share Jesus and impact people, especially out there, especially out there? And I think often as churches, we operate backwards, like we've been talking about lately. We ask, how do we get people here instead of how do we send people out there? Can you imagine the impact that our church could have if every one of us was out there impacting people for Jesus. Every single one of us. It'd be amazing. We, we wouldn't even know what to do. We wouldn't even know what to do. And everybody's masterpiece mission looks different. Your masterpiece mission looks different than mine. But everyone has one. Every adult in this auditorium, God's got a specific plan. Even senior adult, God's got a specific plan. Every teenager, God's got a specific plan. Every kid that's in here today that knows Jesus, God has a specific plan for us. So what is your masterpiece mission? I don't know. You have to talk to Jesus about it. He came up with it. He can tell you. He can show us. But is that something that we're even praying? God, can you show me where you want me to make an impact for you? How do you want me to make an impact for you? Involves, uh, it, I can tell you this though, it involves each of us taking the good news of Jesus, whatever context where he has called us, and sharing Jesus and impacting people for him. So God has made you, if you know him, into his masterpiece. We know masterpieces aren't much good if they're all just stored together where nobody can see them. They have to be seen to make an impact. God's masterpieces, as God's masterpieces, we don't really do much good if we're just kept in a building with all the other masterpieces. It just doesn't do anything. But for us to make a difference, we have to go out and we have to be seen by others. So as you're thinking about that, does living out God's masterpiece mission sound like it's too big of a job for you to handle? It is. That's what we have to say. Daddy, we need your help. Dear God, thank you so much for today. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word 
And God, we pray that as we do, we would be sensitive to what you want to teach us, that we would be open to the ways that you want to work both in us and through us. And God, I pray that as we go out this week, that we might be asking the question, God, what does your masterpiece mission for me look like? God, what is it that you've called me to do? How is it that you have called me to make an impact in this world? If it's at work, if it's at home, God, I believe it's in all those places, in our neighborhoods, social uh, places that we go, um, places our kids are involved. God, you want us to take the message of the gospel. You want us to take the message about Jesus, and you want us to fill all things in all ways. And God, I pray that we would all understand that we as individuals have a part to play. And so God, I pray that we would um, have the courage to step out, that we'd have the courage to walk alongside as you lead us. God, that we would have the courage to say yes when you prompt us, because you want to use us. God, we don't know why, but we, you've chosen to use us to make an impact for you. These things we pray in Jesus' name.